Father, we praise you for such incredible love on behalf of people who are such incredibly sinful people. We are so needy, and you are so gracious. We are so sinful, and you are so merciful. Father, thank you for such wonderful love. Lord, as we come together as your people, and some of us are, but some of us are not, I pray that your spirit would work in hearts. I pray that we would learn and that we would grow and that by your spirit you'd open up our minds and our souls to understand the depths of spiritual truth that we cannot partake of unless you enable that to happen. And so, Father, I pray that you would guide me in the preaching of your word. May I say what you want me to say the way you want it said. And, Father, may it make an impact, not just now but for eternity. Teach us, grow us. And Father, help us be more like you and less like this world. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. I posted this picture on Instagram and Facebook last Friday. It's a panoramic photo of the old sanctuary. I included these words. This Sunday will mark the very last services in our present sanctuary. Many services, baptisms, weddings, child dedications, VBSs, and commitments to the Lord have been made in this worship space. There were different responses that were posted after that. Pam Reed wrote, I first accepted Christ as my Savior, my Lord and Savior there. Both of my sons and I were baptized there. Years later, my husband and I were married and still later dedicated our daughter there. Wow, I never really thought about it until now. Jen Vonish wrote, It's been emotional for me, married on that stage and dedicated our sons there. But then she wrote, Ready to see what God has in store for our family and many others in the new building, though. I like what Rich Weber wrote. New building, same church, God is good. (laughs) Amen, I thought that was great. God has touched a lot of buildings, people in this building. He's going to touch a lot of people over there as well. New building, same church, God is indeed good. And God filled this space, didn't he? And he's going to fill that space, isn't he? Absolutely, he's going to fill it. But it takes us. It takes us reaching out and inviting and bringing people and uh, compelling people to salvation as well as to our celebration. And we're going to learn something about that. If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14. As we learn how to prepare people for salvation as well as celebration. Now, understand something about Luke 14. The background, Jesus is eating in the house of a Pharisee. And as he's eating in the house, one of the guests was reflecting on the greatest banquet of all. And as he was reflecting on this great banquet, he's thinking about fellowship with God and the glorious kingdom to come. And Jesus will have some words to say. In verse 15, this man says, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. And Jesus' response is a parable. We see this in Luke 14, verse 16. But he said to him, A man was giving a big dinner, and he invited many. And at the dinner hour, he sent a slave to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is ready now. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first one said to him, I've bought a piece of land, and I need to go check it, go go out and look at it. Please consider me excused. Another one said, I've bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm going to try them out. Please consider me excused. Another one said, I've married a wife. Be careful. And for that reason, I cannot come. Verse 21. The slave came back and reported this to his master. And the head of the household became angry and said to the slave, Go out at once into the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in here the poor and crippled and blind and lame. 
The slave said, Master, what you've commanded has been done. And still there is room. And the master said to the slave, Go out into the highways and along the hedges and compel them to come in so that my house may be what? Filled or full. For I tell you, none of those men who are invited shall taste of my dinner. Now, first and foremost, understand the primary meaning and context of this passage. We have four characters. We, we have the man who is God the Father, and we have the invited guests who are the Jews, and we have the slaves or the servants who are God's true children. And then we have the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame reaching out to the Gentiles, everybody and anybody of this world. Why? Because the big dinner is salvation. He's saying, listen carefully, God has provided a feast of forgiveness and a table of his abundant grace and this spread of incredible salvation. And he's saying, partake, partake of my salvation, feast if you will. And it says here, he's giving the dinner. In other words, it's free. The feast of salvation and forgiveness is free. You don't pay a thing. You don't bring a thing to the table of salvation. It's all a gift. Ephesians 2, for by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's what? It's a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Our job is to tell everybody about the feast of God's forgiveness, to come to the table of God's grace, and come now. He says, come and get it. That's the message you and I need to tell people. Come and get it now. As 2 Corinthians 6, 2 says, Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. And so these principles that we see in this passage apply to salvation. But I also want you to notice that this morning we're going to apply them to our celebration that takes place next week. How do we prepare people for salvation as well as how do we prepare people for the celebration? Number one is this, if you're taking notes, invite them and remind them. Say it with me invite them and remind them. A man was giving a big dinner. He invited many. Well, next week is one of the biggest celebrations in the history of our church. It's our big dinner, so to speak. There's been a lot of prayer, a lot of preparation, a lot of planning, a lot of sacrifice, a lot of anticipation, a lot of excitement. And many are invited and many have been invited. And we've been inviting many. You, you have flyers and cards. And how many of you have seen the four by four signs all over the community? They've been put up by people and, and newspaper articles and a bulk mailing going out. And he says, go, say to those who've been invited. So they've already been invited. Now we need to re-invite them. Come, everything is ready now. Many of you don't realize that seven years ago, the first building committee was assembled for that new building. Seven years ago to just start looking at it. And then a master plan was developed and architects were interviewed and one was hired and a year and a half ago, the ground was broken for that building. It's now, it's move-in ready. It's ready to move in. Some of you don't realize we started with three sermons a Sunday. Then we went to four sermons a Sunday. Oh, I remember. And, and then, we, <laughs> then we went to five sermons on a Sunday. I'm ready for the new building. I'm ready. And by the way, waved everybody in the overflow. You'll be with us next week. There's about 100 people upstairs right now watching the service because we don't have room in here. We don't have room. The celebration is now. Open the building now, one week from today. So get the word out. And I want you to understand the word was given. The personal invites are the best. Say to those who've been invited. So, so give the personal invites. Call people, text people, go up to people, and personally invite them to God's house. 
Now, nobody's shy in telling others about a good restaurant, are they? You go to a good restaurant, you like their food, you tell people about it. Don't be shy in telling people about a good church. Now, I'm assuming you think this is a good church because you're here. So tell people about the church. If you're spiritually fed here, tell others to join us. Let them know they can be spiritually encouraged and fed in this place. We give them the word. We give them the word fresh. Amen? Because that's what matters most. We're not here to tickle ears. We don't preach preferences. We preach and teach the word of God. Tell people to come and get it. Their young children will be fed. Their youth will be fed. The adults will be fed. And personal reminders are necessary. Go to those who've been invited. So they've already been invited, but people forget. And people get busy. And people need to be reminded. And so go out and re-invite them. And remind them. And tell them again. Don't forget, you need to be here next Sunday. So how do you prepare people for salvation and celebration? You invite them and remind them. Secondly, expect lame excuses. People are good at making excuses. Uh, Look at verse 18. They all alike began to make excuses. How disappointing. Everybody has an excuse because what you think is pretty special isn't that special to someone else. What you think is pretty important may not be that important to somebody else. Even sadly, when it comes to God's work of salvation... It's just not important to some people. The excuses, what do we learn about them? Number one is many times excuses are just a bunch of lies. That's all they are. Billy Sunday said it this way, an excuse is the skin of a reason stuffing in a lie. It's a good, good definition. What else do we learn about excuses? They reveal a lack of appreciation. That's what we learn. These guys have seemingly RSVP'd to this guy. They knew about the dinner. They were planning on coming to the dinner and how rude and insulting and downright selfish they are. They had disregard for this man and all the planning and all the prep and all the sacrifice and all the time that has gone into this big dinner. We learn something about excuses. Many times they're lies and they reveal a lack of appreciation. Well, lame excuse number one. Look at verse 18. I've bought a piece of land. I need to go look at it. Please consider me excused. In other words, I've got somewhere to go. You know, I've got this land. It needs to be checked out. I'm going to build on it or farm it or whatever. And what a lame excuse because he already owns the land. He can go look at it anytime he wants. He doesn't go need to go right then. Don't forget, no land more important than the promised land, your salvation. And there's no land more important than God's land. We're talking celebration. Do not allow your work to compete against your worship. Because work will compete against worship, and this world will compete against worship. Make sure you let God win, because the competition is on. Prioritize what is spiritual, not what is physical. And he respectfully declines. Lame excuse number two, verse 19. I have bought five yoke of oxen. I'm going to go try them out. Please consider me excused. So the first guy got somewhere to go. The second guy, I've got something to do. Everybody's busy. You have decisions to make. He's obviously a very wealthy man. The average farmer owned maybe one or two yoke of oxen. Just kind of like the average family today has one or two cars. So this guy has 10 cars. Okay, he's got a lot of money. In today's market, an ox goes for 500 bucks to 4,500 bucks, depending on the breed. So if it's a Chevy ox, it's 500. If it's a Mercedes ox, it's, you know, 4,500, all right? But his excuse is, I got to go test drive them. I got to pair them up. I got to try them out. What a lame excuse. He can do this anytime. He already owns these things. 
He's letting his investment, he's letting his money, he's letting his work once again get in the way of God. Do not allow your investment, do not allow your wealth to get in the way of your worship or your walk with God. It says here, I've bought five yoke of oxen. So they're new. He's allowing the novelty of the new to get in the way of spirituality. It's a new purchase. Maybe it's a new friendship. Maybe it's a new hobby. Be careful of the novelty of the new. Be careful. The novelty of going golfing and the novelty of boating and the novelty of running or the novelty of fishing or the novelty of camping or the novelty of, and you can write it in the line, the things that really don't matter for eternity's sake. Be very, very careful. You don't let them pull you away from your God. Don't let them consume you. So he respectfully declines. So the first guy, somewhere to go. Second guy, well, I got something to do. Lame excuse number three is probably the best one. I got someone to please, or better, I got someone to blame. I've married a wife, so he blames the missus. You know, I just want to tell this guy, ask Adam in the garden. It's not a good idea to blame your wife. It just doesn't go over very well. And you ladies have no idea how much you get blamed for. Or maybe you do. Okay. I got to spend time with the old lady, and she's so demanding, and I got, she, she's got this honey-do list that just won't end. Just by way of review, remember, no land is more important than the promised land, and no business is more important than God's business, and no relationship is more important than a relationship with God. Don't use any excuses. Walk with your God. How do we prepare people for salvation and celebration? Invite them and remind them and expect lame excuses. But thirdly, go after everyone everywhere. Say it with me. Go after everyone everywhere. Look at verse 21. Slave comes back and reports to his master. And he comes back with bad news. The trip's, you know, been unsuccessful. And it's discouraging and deflating and downright disappointing. And this big dinner is ready and no one's coming, master. All the preparation's been for naught and all the time and energy and money spent. And all the food is going to go to waste. So what's the response of the master? He's angry. You moms know what this feels like. You slave away and work away all day in that kitchen and you've shopped and you've gotten the food and you've prepared it and you've done the recipe and you've worked so hard and then it's dinner time and you call everybody and nobody comes. Oh, and by the way, you got a call from your husband. He's going to be a half hour late. And the kids, they're outside or they're playing on some kind of GameCube or something else or they're, they're texting their friends, they're on Facebook and nobody's coming. And you get mad because of all the time and all the love and all the sacrifice you have put in. And it's just not right. Let me tell you something. When mom ain't happy, what? Ain't nobody happy. This man is not happy. So what does he say? Go out and once into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in here the poor and crippled and blind and lame. You know what he does? He refuses to be defeated or discouraged. He says, we're not done yet. He doesn't cancel the banquet, and he doesn't reschedule the dinner or postpone it. He says, you know what? I'm going to find new guests who are going to appreciate this. That's what I'm going to do. And we're going to eat with or without them, and we're going to celebrate with or without them, because God's blessings and grace are never wasted. 
God's blessings and grace are never wasted. He finds those who will appreciate his sacrifice. He finds those who will eat up every morsel of his grace and thank him for it. That's what we need to do. We need to go out to everyone everywhere and tell them about the banquet of God's grace, the feast of forgiveness, the abundance of his salvation, because God is raising up people who will latch on and say, I want that. I need God. I need church. I need to be there. So go everywhere to everyone because his work will not be wasted and his building will not be wasted. God will bring people who will appreciate his house and what this place stands for. So you keep looking and sharing and inviting and you keep bringing. And, and, and go wherever. He says into the streets and lanes of the city. Go where people go. Approach random citizens. Introduce yourself to unfamiliar people in unfamiliar places. Bring whoever. And he says, bring. That's active. That's insistent. That's determined. Bring in here the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. Go out to the outcasts of society and welcome them with open arms. That's what he says. People you've never met, complete strangers, outside of your social circle. In other words, everyone is welcome in this God's house and everyone is welcome in, in God. Everyone is welcome in this guy's house and everyone is welcome in God's house. That's what he's saying. Everyone is welcome in God's house. Open the doors to the poorest of the poor, the most physically challenged, anyone that the world rejects, and invite them into God's house and invite them to God's salvation. And show no favoritism. God doesn't show favoritism when it comes to heaven, and we are not to show favoritism when it comes to his house. Go after everybody. James 2 teaches us this, verse 2. If a man comes into your assembly with a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and there also comes in a poor man in dirty clothes, and you pay special attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say, you sit here in a good place because you might be able to help pay for that new building. And you say to the poor man, you stand over there, sit down by my footstool. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with what? Evil motives. Verse 9, if you show partiality, you are committing what? sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. We are to show no favoritism, no matter how rich, no matter how poor someone is. They are on level ground before God Almighty. Understand that. God accepts though whom the world rejects. It's not about being popular or pretty or rich or smart. Everyone is welcome in God's house because everyone is welcome in heaven. How do we prepare people for salvation as well as celebration? You invite them and remind them and expect lame excuses and go after everyone everywhere. And then fourth, you don't take no for an answer. Say it with me. Don't take no for an answer. See, you and I, we we too easily give up on people. Oh, I've shared the gospel with that person so many times. They're never going to come to faith. Don't you dare say that. Oh, I've invited that person to church so many times. They're never going to come. Don't you dare say that. Do not give up on people. You keep reaching out, and you keep witnessing to them, and you keep inviting them. The slave said, Master, what you commanded, verse 22, has been done, and there's still room. He says, well, we've done that. We knew what you wanted to do, and there's still seats available. Verse 23, the master said, well, go into the highways and along the hedges and compel them to come in so that my house may be filled. 
He said, I'm not satisfied and I don't want you satisfied. And God is saying, I am not satisfied and you better not be satisfied. There is still work to do. Go, compel, and fill. Go, compel, and fill. Say it with me. Go, compel, and fill. Go. God is all about the go. I want you to notice three times we see and hear this in this passage, Luke 14. Verse 17, he sent his slave. That's go. Verse 21, go at once into the streets and lanes. Verse 23, go into the highways and among the hedges. God is saying, let's get going. By the way, gospel starts with what? With go. So get going. Matthew 28, 19, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. Mark 16, 15, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Go, go, go. You may say, well, that's that's not my personality. Too bad. God is not giving you a personality test to determine whether you are to obey him or not. You are to go. Whether you are outgoing or not, whether you are quiet or not, you are to go. That is the commandment of Almighty God. Go into the highways, anywhere people travel, anywhere you might run into somebody. Doesn't matter. Different economic situation, different educational background, different race or ethnicity identity. It doesn't matter. Different age grouping. They're old, they're young. Doesn't matter. Go and invite them. Go in the areas less populated, along the hedges. Leave no stone unturned. Doesn't matter who they are, what they look like, where they are, what they smell like. In other words, the wrong side of the tracks are the right kind of people. That's what God is saying. The wrong side of the tracks are the right kind of people. So go. Next, verse 23, compel. He says, compel them to come in. Compel means insist. Do everything in your power to get them to God. Do everything in your power to get them to church. That's what he's saying. It is that serious, and God wants you to do that. Not just get them close, but get them in. You may say, well, why do we have to compel them? Well, think about the context. They're going up to strangers. They don't know the host. They don't know the people. It's a big dinner. They don't know if they're dressed right or not. They've been told it's free, but they don't want to get stuck with the tab. Maybe it's really not free. Think about it. You have to compel people to come to church. Why? Well, I don't know if I'll know anybody there. And you know what? I don't really have any church clothes. I've not been in 20 or 30 years. And, 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 and you know what? Well, I grew up Catholic, or I grew up this, or I... Do you understand? You have to compel people to Christ and compel people to church by lowering the walls. You have to tell them. It doesn't matter how you dress. You can come in jeans, come in shorts, come in a t-shirt. It doesn't matter. God doesn't care about that. It doesn't matter about your religious background. We are not about labels at this church. I love how Tom Harmon put it. Labels fall off on the way to heaven and burn off on the way to hell. It is not about being a Baptist. It's not about being a Methodist. It's not about being a Presbyterian. It's about the Word of God. That's what it's about and honoring Him. You, you have to compel them because they have these walls. You have to lower the walls and wrap your arms around them and bring them in. That's what you have to do because people feel intimidated, they're not comfortable. You have to assure them they'll be among friends. You have to let them know that all are welcome at our church. You have to let them know that it doesn't matter how they dress. 
You have to let them know that labels don't mean anything to God. You have to let them know. So go and compel. And then he says, fill so that my house may be filled. God hates empty seats. He wants a full house. People need to be saved, and you and I must compel them. And people need to be here next week, and you and I must compel them. And and be careful. I I want you to think about this. Because some people get caught into this idea that, well, that church is just too big. Our church has become too big. I want you to think about what you're saying if you've said that. That's like saying, there's just too many people going to heaven. Think about it. There's just too many people going to church at that church. There's just too many people going to heaven. Talk about crabby and cantankerous. Church is too big. Talk about selfish and unspiritual. People who complain about a church being too big are people who are more interested in their great comfort rather than God's great commission. Understand that. If you say a church is too big, you are more interested in your great comfort than God's great commission. It's not about what you're comfortable with. It's not about how you feel about it. As a matter of fact, it's not about you at all. It's not about you. It's about reaching as many lost souls for Jesus Christ and feeding as many sheep spiritual truths as possible. That is what it's about. Saying a church is too big. It's like saying there's too many people going to heaven. And by the way, those people who say that are not going to like heaven because there's a lot of people there. I've shared this before, Revelation 7, 9. After these things, I looked and behold a what? A great multitude, which what? No one could count. We could still count people here, okay? We are safe. From every nation and all tribes and all peoples and tongues, standing before the throne, before the Lamb. Multitudes, no one could count beyond numerical comprehension. I think God likes big church. How about you? Yeah, he does. And by the way, God likes colorful church kaleidoscope of colors and languages. Look around. We're pretty pale here. We need to pray God brings more color in. And you who have a little color to you, you are welcome here. And my prayer is that God will keep bringing color in here because the more color, the more like heaven our church is going to be. Don't forget that. Don't forget that. Go, compel, and fill. Verse 24, tell you, none of those who were invited shall taste of my dinner. There's going to be a lot of people who miss out on the blessings of salvation as well as the blessings of celebration. How do we prepare people for salvation and celebration? Say it with me. Invite them and remind them. Expect lame excuses. Go after everyone everywhere and don't take no for an answer. Let's pray. Father, we want to be about your business at this church. We want to see people saved. We want to see people reached for this church. God, do a work as only you can do, and may you get all the glory for it. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Just talk to the Lord right now. Maybe your attitude has been wrong. Maybe you've been too worried about your own comfort and selfish. Ask God to forgive you. Maybe you haven't been going like God wants you to go and witnessing like God wants you to witness and share the gospel like God wants you to share. Ask him to use you. Pray for those coworkers, those neighbors, those relatives, those classmates. Pray for those teammates.
Ask God to give you a holy boldness and a love for people. Ask God to use you to reach people who you don't even know outside of your social circles. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Maybe you're here this morning and you need the Lord in your life. You need forgiveness. And you may say, Scott, that's me. I need God. I need forgiveness of all my sin. What do I do? You can call on the Lord right now in faith and ask him to save you. Just say words like these and mean them in your heart to God. Lord Jesus, I am a wicked sinner. And I desperately need forgiveness. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for dying for all my sins. Lord, I repent. I turn from my sin. And I turn to you. I place my faith in you to save me. I can't save myself. Please forgive me. Please save me from all my sin. In Jesus' name, amen. If you've called out to the Lord this morning, we would love to talk to you about that decision for Christ. And one way you can let us know that is if you open your bulletin, there's a little perforated section. You can write your name, mark one of those boxes. Let us know you've made a decision for Christ. And you can drop that in the offering plate in a moment or hand that to somebody. But let